who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is now Maddie's home. It's the belief of those who pray for her and her family. It was an evil act that stole the life of the little eight-year-old. The worst-case scenario shocked the hundreds of volunteers who tried so hard to find her and the neighbors who knew her well. Uh, my baby's gone, man. <laughs> my child. The suspect was a playmate of all the kids in the neighborhood, including Sam Alardi's son. Oh, they're not going to run the streets like they used to and just go from one place to another place. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of It's Crime Time. I must add a disclaimer here, as this episode involves crimes on a child. While all cases I speak of are awful, I like to try to warn listeners when it involves a child before I delve into the case, as some are especially sensitive to this type of material, and that's understandable. In today's episode, I will be telling you the story of the disappearance and murder of Maddie Clifton. What many think makes this case among the worst of child killings is that the murder was committed by another child. Not only that, but where Maddie's body was found. All right, everyone. It's crime time. Stephen and Sheila DeLongus Clifton moved to the Jacksonville, Florida area in a neighborhood known as Lakewood around the year 1983. They gave birth to a baby girl named Jessica in 1988, and then to their final child, baby girl Madeline Ray Clifton on June 17, 1990. Family was your typical middle-class family. Stephen was a foreman for a metal shop. I hadn't found anything about Sheila's job, but I do know that the family were a very close family, and the neighborhood was a quiet and nice neighborhood located about 20 minutes outside of the metropolitan area of Jacksonville. Maddie's best friend was her older sister, Jessica. Her friends and family describe her as being a very polite, well-mannered child that had many interests. She had a girly side and enjoyed playing piano, the clarinet, as well as dancing. But she also loved playing sports such as football, hockey, and basketball. Her attitude was considered to be a tomboyish, kind of tough-as-nails attitude. On November 3rd, 1998, Maddie's mother left the home to cast her vote, as it was election day. When she returned home, Madeline ran from the home to hit golf balls down the street. She was seen by her family once more, and she ran in the home to grab more golf balls. Maddie had promised her mother she would return home just in time for supper that night. However, she never did. Maddie was often described as having a heart for the underdog. She did not want others to feel lonely, so she often tried to play with and include those that did not often get included. Her sister said she often would root for scary people or things in movies because she didn't like the idea of people or things feeling lonely or isolated. Hmm, sounds like me. Maybe that's going to be the end of my life because of doing something nice like that. On that day, Maddie had been looking for someone to play with her. She went to her neighbor's home across the street, the Phillips. 
Now this family was much different than the Cliftons. They were said to have been struggling financially and the father of the family, Stephen Phillips, was an abusive alcoholic and drug addict who was terrifying as he stood six feet, six inches tall. Steve often abused his son, Joshua, and his wife, Melissa Phillips. Josh had eventually recalled an event that he walked into as a child that terrified him. He had entered his parents' bedroom as his father was smashing his fist through the wall. Upon looking for someone to play with, Maddie asked his 16-year-old neighbor if they wanted to play with her, and they couldn't. So, she returned to her yard when Joshua Earl Patrick Phillips crept up behind her in her yard and asked to play with her. Now, I had already heard a couple of versions of this story. So I heard that he crept up on her in the yard. And then I heard that she went to his home and asked him to play. And of course, he wasn't allowed to have friends over when his parents weren't there. So I guess he told her no at first and then he agreed to play. But most of the articles I read said that he actually crept up behind her in the yard and he had asked to play with her because he noticed that no one else would play with her. So the weird thing is, Josh already had a strange obsession with Maddie's older sister, Jessica. Jessica was 11 at the time and Josh was 14. Now, I don't know if you find this strange or not because I mean, it's a three year difference, but when I was 14, I wasn't looking for, you know, a boyfriend that was 11. And Josh always played with younger kids. When I was 14, I wasn't playing with eight year olds you know, and stuff like that. So I'm not sure if that has anything to do with his strangeness or if that's just who he played with because they were in the area. But a lot of people thought that was odd as well. So Josh and Maddie decided they were going to hit a baseball back and forth. And they were in, I believe it was Josh's yard. And Josh accidentally hit the baseball too high for Maddie to catch. And it struck her in the eye, causing her to bleed. She fell to the ground, crying and screaming, and fearing he would be in trouble with his parents because he was not allowed to have friends over while they were away and because he had hurt Maddie. He took her into the house. And of course, his father was abusive, so he was afraid he was going to get in trouble if he found out that Maddie had been at his home. He attempted to strangle her with a phone cord for 15 minutes to silence her crying. But that didn't work. So he beat her over the head with a baseball bat two more times. Thinking he had killed her, he stuffed her under his waterbed, between the bed and the frame. So he took out a board on the side and he kind of put her under the mattress and in his like bed frame. He went about his day, even speaking to his father because his father had come home and he went down to speak to him quickly. And then he returned to his room. He realized Maddie was still alive, so he could hear her moaning in pain from under the bed. He stabbed her approximately 11 times with his pocket knife, eight to nine times in the chest and about two times in the throat. She eventually succumbed to her injuries and he placed her back between his bed and the frame. At 6.20 p.m. that evening, Maddie's mother, Sheila, was calling her children in from playing so they could eat their supper. Jessica returned home, but Maddie did not. Around 15 minutes later, Sheila was frantic and phoned the police, because this was unlike Maddie. She was very well behaved, always returned home on time, and she would check in with her parents while she was playing several times, typically. 
So she would be out playing and then she would come back home and say, hey, I'm okay. And then she would return playing. But this time she didn't check in. She didn't come home from supper or from playing for supper. So her mom phoned the police. Police initiate a search and the next day, more than 1,000 people from Northeast Florida went in search of Maddie. They handed out flyers with their picture and information on. Josh even helped search for Maddie. After a few days of searching, the FBI got involved. They had one main person of interest, a local sex offender named Larry Grissom. Larry had been arrested for sexual battery twice, 15 to 20 years prior. However, those charges have been dropped. He was questioned and given a lie detector test, which he failed. He, however, had provided an alibi that checked out. The show America's Most Wanted even wanted to broadcast a story about Maddie. Josh's mother had noticed that he was burning incense frequently and using things to make his room smell better because it had started to stink. And this was a couple days in to the investigation. And then eventually on November 10th, so this was exactly a week after Maddie had went missing, Josh's mom decided to clean his room because the smell had gotten so bad. She walked into his room and at first, nothing really caught her attention as to where the smell was coming from. Even though he had a baseball bat stuffed behind his dresser, a pocket knife lying nearby, a roll of tape, and a bunch of incense and air fresheners. But then she noticed a puddle near his waterbed and thought it must be leaking and that might be the cause of the stench. It must be causing mildew or mold. And the bed was also broken as one of the sideboards had been broken and attempted to be replaced. He had used this roll of tape to kind of tape this bed, this board back into place on his bed. She lifted the mattress and underneath the board, she saw a child's foot. She ran from her home and across the street to wave down an officer that was still patrolling in the area. He was still surveying the neighborhood, searching for Maddie. Josh's mother led the police to the room and pointed to the spot where she saw the foot. But she did not want to enter the room again. Like She was too traumatized, which I don't blame her, obviously. Police initiated the search for her body, taping off the home as it was now a crime scene. They recovered the battered and decomposing body of Maddie stuffed under the mattress. Josh was arrested at school that day and booked into the local juvenile detention facility. He confessed to the police what he had done, but he never gave a reason as to why. Police took Maddie's older sister, Jessie, to the local IHOP to eat so they could tell her the news and be somewhere where they could comfort her, which I'm not exactly sure if I would like police telling me something like that in public. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to like you know police telling me something like that anyway, but in a public area where, you know, she would be crying and freaking out in front of all those people. Like, I think comforting her would be easier at her home. I want to play a couple news segments from around that time whenever she was missing and Josh was arrested. Good afternoon. I'm Bruce Hamilton, live in the Lakewood section of Jacksonville, where just about seven and a half hours ago, a gruesome discovery was made. Little eight-year-old Maddie Clifton's body was found in a house that, ironically, is diagonally across from hers. If you've been following the story, as all of the First Coast has, it began unfolding last Tuesday evening at about 5.50 when Maddie disappeared. And until this morning, when Misty Phillips came out of her house at 7.28 a.m. and flagged down Officer Don Teton, who was on routine surveillance here in this neighborhood, a surveillance that's been posted ever since Maddie disappeared. 
It was only then that we found out what happened. He walked into the house and he discovered the little girl's lifeless body. It had been stuffed inside a waterbed. Now, this begs the question, why didn't police find it before? Because they'd been in that house three times, and Sheriff Nat Glover talked about that. He said, we don't go tearing open furniture during the course of an investigation, and it's just not a logical place that we would have looked. Now, there is a 14-year-old boy, Misty's son, Josh, who is being questioned at this hour at police headquarters downtown. Last we heard, he's not been officially charged. The news conference getting underway downtown. ABC 25's Susan Biggers is there with the latest. Susan. I'm here to announce the arrest of Joshua Earl Patrick Phillips, white male, 14, of 6139 Fleetwood Road. Joshua um, lived at that address with his parents, his father, Steve Phillips, and mother, Militia, Melissa Phillips. He has been charged with murder, and he has confessed to the crime of killing Maddie Clifton. As you all know, um, Maddie was found this morning by her, the mother of the suspect. She was securely encased in the base of a waterbed. As you all can see on the diagram here, the waterbed mattress was on top of her. This is a piece of plywood here that separates a cavity here. Got about 400 pounds of water here, and this is secured. You have an aerial view here, and you can see the body was in somewhat of a fetal position. The mother went in, into the suspect's room this morning, and she noticed a fluid coming from under the bed. That coupled with um, an odor apparently aroused her suspicion and she pulled out the corner of the bed right here. When she pulled that open, she could see the feet of the victim. At that time, she went to notify the officers and she notified Officer Tootin, who was in the neighborhood and who had been assigned there all night. We suspected that Maddie would be found somewhere in the neighborhood, so we pretty much had shut down the neighborhood. We had surveillance there 24 hours a day, so nothing could, um, could, could be taken out. Now, Josh told police a slightly different version of the story I told you earlier. He said they were playing baseball and he accidentally hit her in the eye with the ball. 
He panicked, took her into his room to silence her. He hit her on the head once or twice with a bat and then stabbed her a few times, stuffing her under the mattress and she became silent. So he left out the strangling part and how she wasn't dead, so he came back to finish her off. Police also discovered that Maddie was naked from the waist down, but found no signs of sexual assault in the autopsy. Even though Josh was watching porn before playing baseball with her and after he had killed her. And they say that he was watching some sort of extremely violent porn and he, um, I guess, could have been influenced by this to, you know, kill her or do something with her. But they found no signs that he sexually assaulted her. On November 16th, the prosecutors announced that they would try Josh as an adult for first-degree murder. He was indicted on these charges on November 19th. He was then moved from the juvenile detention center to the county jail awaiting trial. Josh's trial began on July 6th, 1999 and ended on July 8th, 1999. So it only lasted two days because his lawyers had no evidence to say that he was innocent and they had no witnesses. He was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole on August 20th. A little under a year later, Josh's father, Steve Phillips, was killed in a one-vehicle car accident in which he rode his vehicle. This happened in Wakula County, near the prison where his son was incarcerated. I've heard that he possibly may have committed suicide by wrecking his car, and others believe it was just an accident, so I can't really say on that. And I'm also not sure if he was leaving the prison or if he had ever visited Josh at the time either. After this, Maddie's mom, Sheila, went to visit Josh's mom to offer her condolences. This was the first time they had spoke since the murder. On November 17th, 2017, 33-year-old Josh got a resentencing hearing to see if he had a possibility of getting a shorter sentence, as he was just a juvenile when the crime was committed. Now, I... Don't know if you guys like listening to the audio I put in here or not, and I know I have a lot on here, but I want to play for you the apology video that Josh, I guess he read an apology at his resentencing hearing. This is for the, the family of Maddie Clifton. I've wanted to say this for a very long time, and uh, I'm grateful that his chance to do so in person uh, has arrived. Uh, I don't pretend to know or understand your pain or to grasp a void that I've created in your lives. I can say this, I do understand pain. I have become quite intimate with suffering. Growing up in prison, I've seen many dark things and I've been to some dark places. Many times throughout this journey, I came directly close to ending my life just to escape it all. During these times, I was embroiled in a flurry of emotions and feelings. Guilt, despair, pain, hopelessness, fear, and shame. Each time I was somehow able to continue on mostly because I couldn't stand to put my mother through any more trauma. She's been through enough. There were times that I was angry at her 
because I couldn't end my pain because of her love. Yet now I'm eternally grateful to her. I'm grateful to her because as I've grown up, I have learned the value of life. I've learned to see the beauty and joy in a world full of strife and experience the truth of unconditional love. I wish to God that I could have known this or understood it when I was 14. Had I then, none of this would have come about. I had no clue what life meant, what death meant, nor the depths of suffering that could follow one act. I had no inkling of how long that suffering could last. I hadn't lived long enough to understand the time involved or what really suffering was. I did something horrible. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what happened. Even now, after all these years, it is just unfathomable that all this could have occurred. It tears my mind asunder to know that I stole such a precious life from you, from the world. Anyway, once again, Josh was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. I didn't play his entire apology video, I just played like three minutes of it to give you a basic idea, but what do you think? Do you think juvenile offenders should ever be released? Do you believe people can change and grow into normal productive adults and put their crimes behind them? I will tell you in this video, he cries without tears. So take that as you will. And also, most of his statements, he says I, and he's only talking about himself and how he feels, the majority of his apology. Now, I do understand that teenagers unrealistically deal with anger and fear because when you're a teenager, your ability to rationalize things is a lot different than when you're an adult. I mean, come on. Teenage girls think the world's ending when a boyfriend they've had for a month leaves. That's just how life is. I was a teenager once. But, I mean, you also know that murdering someone is wrong at 14. I did a lot of things as a teenager that I did before truly thinking about the consequences, but I obviously never killed anyone. I won't state my deep opinion on this as it's it's different in every circumstance and I'm not really here to state my opinion, just tell a story. But I just wanted to throw that in there and make you guys think a little bit, you know, on this subject. What do you think about it? I'd like to close this episode with a quote from Josh's mom. I'm human, she says. I have my moments, my worries, my doubts. Of course, I'm mindful of Maddie not being here. As close as I am to this tragedy, I can't say I know their pain any more than they know mine. I think of them a lot. I think of Maddie a lot. I'll carry this with me until I die. All right, everyone. That concludes this episode of It's Crime Time. If you enjoyed, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, check me out on social media at It's Crime Time Pod. Visit Instagram to see photos from this week's case.